You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Uh, Open up to Matthew 28. If you need a Bible, the ushers are in the aisle. Well, we've been going through the book of Matthew, and I think we're going to finish it next Sunday, Lord willing. Uh, Have really enjoyed this study with you. What a glorious gospel, the book of Matthew. Uh, The title of the message today is Your Life Mission. Your Life Mission, Understanding the Great Commission that Jesus Gave. Uh, Do you know that you have a mission from God? Uh, The reason we name this church the Mission Church is because we believe every member has a calling on their life uh, to be a servant of the Lord. And the mission field is right between your two feet. Wherever you are, you're on the mission field. And we want everybody embracing that mission. And it's very much germane to Jesus's great commission that he gives here in Matthew 28. Uh, Think about this. Uh, Right now, uh, as we speak at this very moment, there are 9,728 airplanes in the air right now. And they are carrying 1.3 million people. That's a lot of airplanes, right? What if all of those airplanes lost their pilot? What if all of those airplanes lost their navigation equipment? Uh, 1.3 million people would be destroyed. Uh, All those airplanes would crash. Uh, Why? Because they were meant to be piloted. Uh, They have a, a, a purpose, right? And in the same way, when God's people forget the mission that they have been given... It is much like planes just without a pilot. Uh, uh, Lives are going to run amok. Lives are going to crash. It's going to be, you know, us looking for wrong things, doing wrong things, finding, you know, trying to figure out life. Uh, Hard to do it if if we stray from our mission. Uh, and so today, we're going to be looking at the, the mission that Jesus gave us, and uh, it's going to be a two-part study. Today, uh, Your Life Mission Part 1, and next week, we'll look at it as well. And uh, I hope that it uh, really, again, encourages and inspires us to embrace the, the mission that Jesus has given us. Uh, we're going to pick up our story today, where we left off last week. Uh, let me remind you what's going on. Jesus has resurrected. He was crucified, he was in the tomb for three days, and it is early on the Sunday morning, and Jesus has resurrected. The women have gone to the tomb, Uh, they're not expecting a resurrection, and the angel appears to the women, and he speaks to them, just as a way of uh, context for those who weren't with us last week. Let's pick it up in verse 5, Matthew 28, verse 5. Are you there? Yes. Uh, The angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Yes, Jesus foretold his death and resurrection repeatedly. He even said that he would be in the grave three days. Uh, He told exactly what was going to happen, and he resurrected just as he said. The angel reminds them of that, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And so the angel takes them into the tomb with the the, uh, stone rolled away and uh, says, look, uh, you know, he's not here. Verse 7. And go quickly and tell his disciples. After they look inside the empty tomb, the angel tells them, go and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into where? 
Galilee. Everybody say it with me. Into Galilee. Uh, he's going into Galilee, the angel says. Uh, where are they right now when the angel is telling them this? They're in Jerusalem. He's going into Galilee. And behold, I have told you. Uh, he's calling all the disciples there to, to go into Galilee. Verse 8. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear or with awe and with great joy. And they ran to bring the disciples' word, the word. I love that. Uh, you know, you, early in the morning and they're like, what are those gals doing running? Well, here's what they're doing. They're going to tell the disciples that Jesus has risen. They're excited. They're stoked. They're running. Verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, look at this. Jesus met them. How amazing is that? Jesus comes and he meets the women. I love that. And uh, again, girl power, right? Just way to go, gals. Uh, the first people that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus appears to, was to the gals. And I love that, right? Uh, uh, Again, I think J.C. mentioned this last week. If the Bible was man-made, if it was man-written, there is no way in the world we would have Jesus appearing to women first. Uh, in that culture, they, uh, they're just, you know, the men had all the authority. A, a woman's testimony wasn't even allowed in court. And here Jesus, he values women. Uh, and he comes to and he, he makes his appearance to them and he says, rejoice, rejoice. Uh, church, let that be encouraging, encouraging to you this morning. If Jesus came to you, he would say, rejoice. I am your Lord. I am your Savior. I have conquered sin. I have conquered death. And you have perfect righteousness imputed to you by my work on the cross. You are going to be with me forever. I have a calling and a purpose on your life. And when your life is over, I will take you and, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, rejoice. I have good things planned for you. So they came. Look at, well, look at this. I love this. So they came and they held him at the feet and they worshiped him. Uh, they were just clinging on him and holding on to him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Interesting. What did you notice that Jesus repeated that they met, that the angel said? Go to Galilee. And uh, here, interesting, Jesus says, uh, go and tell who? The disciples? Is that what he says? Go and tell who? My brethren. Well, who does he mean by his brethren? Uh, the angel said, go and tell the disciples. Uh, that, I would assume that would mean the, the 11, right? Judas is gone. Uh, the 11. Jesus says, go and tell my brethren. Uh, who is that? Uh, well, Jesus did an amazing thing. When God became a man, he became our kinsman redeemer. He is the brethren to all who believe. We have a high priest in, in heaven. Uh, he is God, but he took on a man's body. He became a man. He is our brother. He is the second Adam. Uh, Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 12 uh, on your screens. You may remember this when we studied this. Re let me hear you read this out loud. He, Jesus, stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You'll remember that story, the context of it was Jesus' own brother, uh, his own family came to him. They said, dude, we think you're losing your mind. You're preaching that you're the Messiah. Uh, his own brothers didn't believe, right? This would be James, who later became a leader in the church. But he didn't believe during Jesus' life. And he was afraid Jesus was going crazy, right? Like, what do you got all these people following you for, right? And uh, Jesus uh, is teaching, and, and this, you know, uh, they big crowds and they come and say, hey, your brother is looking for you and your mother. And he says, hey, this is my family. These are my brethren. And so when Jesus says, go and tell my brethren to meet me in Galilee, I believe he is calling 
all disciples, all believers, to go into Galilee and uh, to, uh, uh, well, well, we'll look at that in just a minute. Uh, the first thing we see here is that God rewards those who diligently seek him. These gals were coming to the tomb to worship Jesus. They were coming to the tomb to, uh, you know, care for a dead body. They had, didn't grasp the truth that Jesus had told them that they were, Jesus was going to resurrect from the grave. And the reason is because they had their own ideas of what they expected Jesus to do. They thought for sure he was going to set up his kingdom. And so they didn't grasp all of his teaching on that. Sometimes our preconceived ideas hinder our learning. That was the case for the disciples. That was the case for the women. And so they came to the empty tomb, but they did so out of love for Jesus. And here's what I just absolutely love. God rewards those who diligently seek him. That's a Bible verse, by the way, Hebrews 11:6. God rewards those. He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It is so important that we, we, that we pursue Jesus. He's pursuing us, and he wants us to pursue him. If you have ever loved anybody and pursued anybody, you know the very thing that you want for the one that you're pursuing is that they would respond to your pursuit, right? That they would, they would interact with you in it. And I love that God rewards those who diligently seek him. God is not hard to find. Uh, having a close relationship with God is not something that is far off. It is near you. And if we come through Jesus Christ, through what he did for us on the cross, uh, we can be in relationship with Jesus. And if you feel this morning like you, like God is far away, I would just encourage you, come back to him this morning. He rewards those who diligently seek him. The resurrected Jesus appears to the women bodily and physically there in his, his glorified body. And what do they do? They hug him and they worship him and they are filled with joy. They are filled with awe. And he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. John's gospel tells us that Mary Magdalene was there and she actually clung on to Jesus' feet and would not let go. She was like, hey, I lost you the first time when you went to the cross. I'm never going to let you go from my side. And she's just hanging on to him. To which Jesus answered her what? Mary, back off. (laughs) No, he didn't say that. He said, Mary, don't cling to me. You, You don't understand. I'm not here forever. I'm going to ascend to my father. The the, the goal is not for me to be here forever. Uh, That's going to come later. There's going to be a millennial reign. We'll all be ruling and reigning physically and bodily in the kingdom age on the earth from Jerusalem. But Mary, that time is not yet. And you need to understand what I'm going to be doing. Mary, I want you to go to Galilee. And so Jesus is, is doing this work here. And, and we see that he's, he's there to those who draw near to him. Uh, they're clinging on him, but he's also giving instruction. Hey, I want you to go to Galilee. I have a verse for you, just uh, by the way, on, on drawing near to God. Isaiah 55, great verse. Take a look at this one. Let me hear you read. This is Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Some great instruction in that. In that, Hey, just turn from your sin and draw near to God and God will draw near to you. He is merciful and he will abundantly pardon. I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes when I sin and really blow it, when I really mess up, I feel like my flesh feels like, oh, I can't go to God now. No, 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 no. Just the opposite. Just the opposite. That is the time to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know you died on the cross for me. 
I know this is the reason you became a man. And Jesus, I know you're the Savior, and I'm the sinner. I never confuse my position there. I never start thinking that I'm the righteous one. And oh, I really blew it. How could that happen? How could that happen? Easy. I'm the sinner, right? And he is my savior. And as we seek him, he will be found and he will abundantly pardon us. It would have been great if he just said, hey, I'll pardon you. He doesn't say that. He says, I will abundantly pardon. I Come, let us reason together. Even though your sins are as scarlet, I will make you white as snow. Come and, and, and let yourself uh, delight in all that God has for you. So the gals do and they're clinging on to Jesus and and he says hey Mary listen uh, I'm going to be going away and he sends all the disciples to Galilee why does Jesus send all the disciples to Galilee put that slide up for me if you will thank you Uh, why does he send all the disciples to Galilee what is he doing what is going on Well, the scripture doesn't tell us for sure, but we can speculate. By the way, Galilee was 70 miles away from Jerusalem. Uh, I have a map of it I can show you. Uh, There's Jerusalem, the big red square at the bottom. And Galilee, uh, there's the Sea of Galilee up at the top. And that square, uh, that red square is pretty close. Uh, That's Google Maps, by the way. That's pretty close to the area that Jesus would minister to. It was his favorite area to minister to and if you've ever been there you know why it's just beautiful it's a beautiful area and there the sermon on the mount jesus gave from the shores of uh, the sea of galilee and there's these like sloping shores with all kinds of beautiful tall grass coming up and and jesus can you imagine being there at the sermon on the mount when jesus preached from the sea of galilee just to be amazing right so he tells him he sends his disciples to galilee why why well, again, a couple of reasons we can speculate. Number one, to let things cool off in Jerusalem just a bit. Uh, things are pretty hot right now in Jerusalem. There's some tyrant religious leaders walking around, and they, uh, uh, what are the disciples doing right now as Jesus resurrected? What are they doing? They're hiding in fear because they don't want to be killed just like Jesus was. And Jesus says, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Why don't you come out to Galilee with me? And so he calls all of the disciples to Galilee. Uh, A second reason is uh, uh, he probably wanted to gather them in a private place, in an open space. We are told in Corinthians that Jesus appeared to over 500 people at once. Those were disciples. And that probably happened at Galilee. Most scholars believe it happened at Galilee when Jesus called them all there to Galilee. And so uh, uh, various reasons, right? To let the things cool off and to get all his guys gathered together. And I think a, a third reason that I'd like to bring to your attention, because the gospel is now going to go to the Gentiles. And the Sea of Galilee was called, the area of Galilee was called Galilee of the Gentiles, right? And the gospel is now going to go to the Gentiles. You'll remember on Palm Sunday, Jesus came in and it was his triumphal entry. He was presenting himself to Israel as the Messiah, And some of Israel was there and they were laying palm branches down and they were saying, Messiah, save us, save us. But here's what Jesus knew. They were looking for a Messiah to overthrow Rome. They were looking for a Messiah to set up a kingdom on the earth to take away their problems. They didn't understand his purpose in coming to go to the cross to die for their sins and to cleanse them of their sin and to impart to them righteousness. And he knew that the same people who were crying out Hosanna were going to cry out on Friday, crucify him, crucify him. And so he weeps bitterly. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, if you would have only known this, your day of visitation, this day was prophesied 
in the book of Daniel, the very day he would ride in on a triumphal entry. If you would have only known this your day of visitation, but now your house is left to you desolate and you're going to face incredible destruction. And he wept over it and he rides out of Jerusalem. The next morning he rides back in and he curses the fig tree, a picture of the nation Israel. We studied it together months back. Uh, and Israel now, blindness has happened in Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Uh, what's that? Yeah, the nation Israel is spiritually blinded and God's grace and mercy goes out to the Gentile nations. God is going to restore Israel again. Uh, that's coming very, very soon, by the way. Uh, but right now we are under an age of grace where predominantly Jesus is working through the Gentiles, right? Saving the Gentiles. And so he calls all the disciples to the Sea of Galilee, to the Galilee of the Gentiles. And uh, again, it's believed that's where Jesus appeared to over 500 at once. And uh, he's calling them to, uh, to that. Uh, and you say, well, how will they know where to go in Galilee? Um, Galilee's a big area. Again, that map we saw, right? A big area up there. Uh, verse 16, if we just jump ahead real quick, uh, it tells us that Jesus told them where to go. Look at verse 16. The 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. So Jesus had told them about this. And uh, repeatedly, Jesus told them to go to Galilee after he died. Uh, the angel says it here. Jesus says it to the women here. And check this out. Even before Jesus died, he was telling them these things. Look at Matthew 26 on your screens. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 31. Uh, Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus foretells everything. And he had told them where to go. And I imagine he probably had a favorite place in Galilee. Maybe it was the very spot where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know. Probably. I don't know. Uh, but he had told them all these things. By the way, when this happened, do you remember what Peter said right after this? Even if all these deny you, I'll never deny you. Yeah, not, might want to be careful there, Peter, right? Uh, but here, Jesus telling them beforehand to go to Galilee. So uh, interesting, uh, we're, gonna, we're leading up to this great commission, right, that Jesus is going to give. And the reason he wants them all in Galilee is that's where he will give all of his disciples the great commission. And the great commission is to go out to the Gentiles, to all the nations. And he gathers them there at the area of the Gentiles and at the Sea of Galilee. Verse 11 then, uh, verse 11 through 15 is a parenthetical statement. If we were to look at what happened next, we would go right to verse 16. But so that we can study the whole Bible, let's look at verse 11. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. And when they, that's the chief priest, had assembled with the elders and consulted together. So the Sanhedrin comes together again and uh, uh, they, they, uh, you know, they hear that Jesus has resurrected and they're like, what do we do now, right? So when they, that's the chief priest, had assembled with all the elders, they consulted together. They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. So the soldiers, you'll notice, when, when the stone is rolled away, uh, and the, the, the soldiers just, you know, are, are knocked out, right? They're just like, what do we do, right? I mean, they're just like in fear, right? Bowing before the, the and then they see the resurrected Jesus. And uh, the soldiers, notice who they go to. They don't go to the Roman guard. Who do the soldiers go to? The they go to the Sanhedrin. They go to the chief priest. Why? Because if you were a Roman soldier and you did not hold your post, do you know what happened to you? It was death. 
And so they are afraid, man. This was a, 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 a squadron of 16 soldiers, four soldiers on each watch. They would rotate. If a soldier fell asleep, one of the other soldiers would light his skirt on fire and say, wake up. That's where we get the expression running around with your skirt on fire, right? It comes all the way back from then. And so they're afraid of their lives, right? It was their, it was their life that was at stake. And instead of going to Rome, they go to the chief priest like, I don't know what to do, right? And here's what happens, verse 13. Uh, the chief priests say, uh, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while, while we slept. Uh, yeah, that's not going to work for us, they say. That, that'll bring the death penalty. Uh, verse 14. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will appease him and make you secure. Who is the governor? Pilate. Uh, and we already know, we already saw these, this Sanhedrin, this, re, this Jewish Supreme Court, had a lot of power over Pilate. They could wield Pilate around wherever they wanted him to. And they said, hey, listen, we'll take care of Pilate. So these soldiers, what choice did they have? If they told Rome, hey, we lost him. How? An angel? Yeah, sure, right? And so what? they, they take the money, and they, uh, they, they do what they said. Uh, verse 15, so they took the money, and they did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews till this day. Uh, it's still reported even till our day, by the way. Uh, the lie that the disciples had taken the body of Jesus and that Jesus is really dead uh, is, you know, still believed by some today. But I tell you what, it defies all the hard evidence. Just a thinking mind would realize that that doesn't hold any weight. The insurmountable evidence of Jesus' resurrection is overwhelming. It is staggering to consider. Uh, the disciples were so afraid of the religious leaders, they're hiding in fear. Just think about this. Uh, they're hiding in fear. And they weren't expecting Jesus' resurrection. They were expecting Jesus to set up his kingdom. And now everything comes to a ruin for them. And so they're, they're confused. They're hiding. They think, what do we do now? What are we going to... Uh, Peter says, I think I'll go fishing again. I'm going to go back to my fishing. I mean, they're like, they're lost, right? And to think that in just three days, these confused, wayward disciples came up with a plan to overthrow Roman soldiers and trick the whole, trick the whole world by, uh, so that they could propel Christianity is just like, that's so far-fetched, right? Uh, when we read the account, that's not even, a, even remotely what was happening. They didn't have that kind of intellectual prowess, to be fair. They were just confused and bewildered. So there's no way that was happening. Uh, there's no way these fearful, cowering disciples could ever create a plan to get by the Roman guards and fool the world in those three days. It's just not possible. Uh, secondly, the wealthy and powerful religious leaders who, by the way, Judaism was the biggest religion in the world by far. It was incredibly powerful. And their religion was being threatened by this Jesus guy. That's why they killed him. And they could have completely squashed all of Christianity if they would have just shown the dead body of Jesus. So if there was a dead body, only three days after a public resurrection, they would have easily been able to know where it was. Uh, uh, resurrection, uh, public crucifixion. It would have been easy for them to know where that body was and to simply show it if they could. But they never did. There was no body to show. Uh, if the resurrection was a lie, then uh, we also have uh, this problem with Bible prophecy. For all kinds of Bible prophecies foretold the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus foretold his own resurrection many of times. He taught it over and over. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth, and then he'll resurrect. I mean, over and over he taught. How do you explain that, right? 
right? Uh, fourthly, there's the vast number of martyrs, and JC did a great job talking about that last week. Uh, the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus' resurrection, and all they had to do to forego death was just simply say, nope, Jesus didn't rise. But they wouldn't do it. And all of the disciples were martyred, except for John. And not only them, but not only the, the 11, but also hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of disciples were martyred for Jesus. Uh, and all they had to do is just recant and say, no, Jesus isn't alive. But they saw him. And when you look at like Fox's Book of Martyrs or any of the other accounts, it's staggering. I mean, James was beheaded. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus. All he had to do is say, no, Jesus didn't resurrect. Uh, Philip was crucified. Matthew was beaten by an axe, beaten to death by an axe. Uh, little James, uh, James the little disciple, he had his, his, this is graphic, I apologize. He had his brains beat out by a fuller's club. All he had to do was just say, no, Jesus wasn't alive. Uh, Peter and his wife were crucified. They crucified Peter's wife before Peter, so he had to watch. And then when they came to Peter, they said, hey, all you have to do is deny Christ. And Peter said, I'm not worthy to die like he died. Crucify me upside down. James was beheaded. Uh, Mark was drugged, drugged to pieces uh, behind a chariot in Alexandria. Nathaniel was skinned alive. All his skin peeled off of him. All in all, by the third century, there were three million Christians who wouldn't recant their faith and died as martyrs. How do you explain the martyrs? In addition, how, about, how do you explain, if Jesus didn't resurrect, how do you explain the birth and meteoric rise of Christianity? With no seemingly formal plan laid out, no school or of anything, just suddenly Christianity becomes the biggest religion in the world virtually overnight. How do you explain this? And how do you explain that it remains 2,000 years later? And how do you explain the billions of changed lives that have come through Jesus Christ? And how do you explain, if Jesus didn't rise, how do you explain Jesus's incredible influence on culture, on humanity? Bigger influence than any other person by far. Nothing else is even close. How do you explain that? Look at all the, 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 the poems, the music, the plays, the, the songs, the sermons, the... Even our calendar, I mean, even, even all of our calendar dates to this person. How do you explain that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? We can say that the resurrection of Jesus is a fable if you want to. But I tell you what, the overwhelming evidence clearly shows uh, that Jesus rose from the grave. And instead of resisting the resurrection, why not just embrace it? as the historical fact that it is and make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior and draw near to him and let him draw near to you, cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness, of all of your sin, make you born again and give you new life and lead, guide, and direct you all the days of your life until you stand before him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the house of your Lord. Uh, Incredible, right? Why would anybody not want this? It's the best thing ever. Life and life abundant. So uh, that was this parenthetical se section with these soldiers who were bewildered. And, and uh, again, the stone had the Roman seal on it. The Roman seal, if that seal was broken, it was the death penalty. God did everything he could historically possible to show us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was factual including putting a Roman seal uh, that was broken on the tomb, right? So anyway, we leave this parenthetical statement and we come back now to the disciples who have been commissioned to go where? 
to Galilee. And uh, here we're seeing uh, Jesus sending all these disciples to, to Galilee. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, read this with me, went away into Galilee. Yeah, they did what Jesus said. To the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they get there, they meet the 500 other disciples or thousands or I don't know how many there were, but I know at least 500 because Jesus appeared to 500 at once, Corinthians tells us. Uh, and so they meet all the other disciples that are there in Galilee to the spot that Jesus had told them. Verse 17. And when they saw him, that's Jesus, they worshiped him. But some doubted. I love this. <laughs> Jesus had told them all to go to Galilee. Hundreds of them are there. Perhaps thousands of them are there. Jesus appeared to the 11 many times before they got to Galilee. He appeared to them in the upper room, you'll remember. They were all there dining, and then who, who pops in? Just through the wall, baby. Poop, here I am. And uh, they're eating, and they're like, what the heck, right? Crazy. And Jesus said, hey, don't be afraid. And they're like, we are afraid. That you just, you just came through a wall. And they're like, yeah, I'm not a spirit. Touch me. I have flesh. I have bone. Touch me. And so they do, right? And they're like, wow, you really did resurrect. Yeah, I told you I would, right? And, and uh, you know, just to prove that he was there, he goes, hey, give me some fish. And he takes the fish and he eats the fish, right? And they got to see all that. Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples many times. But to the hundreds or the thousands that are at Galilee, they haven't seen him yet. And when Jesus appears, uh, it says uh, they were in awe, right? They worshiped him, but some doubted. And again, I love this. Um, uh, some were there and they're going, yeah, I know you said this and here you are, but I saw you die on the cross, right? And, and I love that it says they doubted because uh, it shows the authenticity of the Bible. If this was a man-made book, there is no way in the world we would put that his disciples were doubting, right? We would, they, we would, we would just kind of prop it up and make it fluffy, and, and all the disciples were there waiting because they knew that Jesus, no, that's not how it went, right? And so they come, and they're like, Jesus appears to them, and he's got a message for them, and some of them aren't sure, like, what is all this? This is crazy, uh, but they're learning, and they're growing. Verse 18, and Jesus came. And he spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Underline the word all authority. Consider what Jesus is saying right there. All authority has been given to me. All the, paraphrase, all the authority in the universe has been given to me. All the authority, the same authority that said light be and light was, has been given to me. All the authority that spoke the universe into existence has been given to me. Verse 19, go therefore by that authority and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. Uh, by the way, uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we see there, what do we see? We see the triune Godhead, right? Three persons, one God. Bigger than us, bigger than we can understand, right? Three persons, one God. Jesus says, go uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. We're going to have a baptism. I want you to come and get baptized. And when we baptize you, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do exactly what Jesus said. We're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's interesting, though. It doesn't tell us the name. Uh, the Father is not a name. The Son is not a name. The Holy Spirit is not a name. Uh, we know God's name is Yahweh, right? That was his covenant name between God and Israel. We know Jesus' name is Jesus. It means Yahweh is salvation, is what Jesus means. Uh, uh, but he says, hey, go and baptize them in the triune Godhead, in the, in the name. The name there means in the character of 
uh, in the character of the Father, in the character of the Son, in the character of the, of the Holy Spirit. It means in the person of. It means in the, the, the very makeup of who they are, their, their personal being. Uh, your name was your reputation, your character. Baptizing them in the name of the, 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 the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And look at this. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. world's getting crazy out there right now, isn't it? Good news, Jesus is with us, even to the very end of the age. Um, we're going to be looking at this great commission uh, today and again uh, over, uh, over the next Sunday as well. Um, but here we see something. We see uh, Jesus called them all there to Galilee for what purpose? Well, for this purpose, to give the church its mission. This is the mission of the church. This is the mission of your life. This is what Jesus wants from us. This is the very climax of the great gospel of Matthew. Jesus' earthly ministry is coming to a close. He is going to ascend up into heaven in just a few days from now. I don't know how many days after his resurrection this Galilee meeting is. I don't know. There was He resurrected on the third day, and he stayed for 40 days, right? Uh, but it's a 70-mile journey from Jerusalem to Galilee. That would take a few days for them to get there. So we are somewhere in the middle of this 40-day period where Jesus is uh, repeatedly manifesting himself in his glorified body and his resurrected body on the earth. And there he does so to the disciples at Galilee. And he says, listen, my ministry, my earthly ministry is going to be coming to a close. I'm going to be ascending to the throne of God in just, just days from now. And we know that happens on the, the Mount of Olives, right? And the disciples watch him go up into heaven. I'm going to be ascending up into heaven. But listen, my work here is not done. And therefore, Jesus gives us his mission, our mission, what the church is going to do. We are now his hands and his feet. We are uh, uh, his body, if you will. And he says, listen, I'm going to ascend up into heaven, but I still have a big work to do on this earth. And now you are my body. You are my hands. You are my feet. You are my mouthpiece. And I want you to fulfill this mission. This is your mission. Church, by the way, in the Greek is ekklesia, and it means the called out ones. The called out ones, the ones who have been sent out. You are sent out by God, and this is our mission. This is what he has called us to do. Uh, many uh, Christians in the church today do not understand their mission. If I asked you, what was the mission of the church? Well, a lot of people might say, well, we're to gather weekly to fellowship and to sing praises and to worship God, uh, to raise a family and to get instruction on our marriages so we can have healthy marriages and to heal addictions and to feed the poor. And hey, all of these things are good things, but they are not the mission of the church. They are the byproduct of what happens when we gather in Jesus' name uh, for teaching and instruction, but it's not the mission of the church. What is then the mission of the church? The mission of the church is really simple. I love how simple Jesus made it. The mission of the church is go make disciples of all peoples, of all races, of all ethnos, nationalities. Go make disciples of all the nations, all the people. Uh, that is simply the mission of the church. It is how many words? One, two, three, four, five, six. We, we, can't be that confusing, right? It's six words. Go make disciples. That's the mission of the church. Uh, 
It's interesting, you cannot even reword, reword it without diminishing its value, without diminishing its meaning. Uh, sometimes we try to re reword it and we say, the mission of the church is to seek and save the lost. Well, that's good, and that's definitely part of that, but that diminishes it. For one thing, who can we save? No one, right? Only Jesus can save. We can just bring him to Jesus. Uh, uh, and then once they get saved, then what's the problem? A mission's over. Uh, no, 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 no. That's not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to do what? Let me hear you. What? Make disciples of all people. To go make disciples of all people. That's the mission of the church. Uh, it's easy for the church somehow, even though it's only six words, it's easy for us to lose our mission. And today, I want to remind us, we named the church this just so we wouldn't forget. You've been called by God, and you've been placed on the mission field. The mission field is planet Earth. Wherever your two feet are standing, and wherever you go, guess what you're supposed to be doing? Say it again. I love hearing you say it. Making disciples. I want you to say it this way. I'm supposed to be. Say it for me. Now write it down for me. I'm supposed to be making disciples. How are you doing at that? Is it happening? How does the church somehow lose their way? Do you know how we got all these seeker-friendly mega churches with 15-minute sermonettes that are nothing more than feel-good motivational talks? Do you know how we got that? Somehow the church lost the mission that Jesus gave it and they made up their own mission. You say, well, that's kind of harsh. Why do you say that? Here's why I say that. You can't make disciples in 15 minutes with a motivational talk. It cannot happen. And what happened, maybe, uh, you know, I don't think it's all sinister, but maybe they put the emphasis on the word go. Go. Sometimes we word it, go into all the world and make disciples. So maybe they put the emphasis on go get the whole world. And in order to get the whole world, then we've got to just make it really seeker friendly to get the whole world. And so we put on a big carnival, we put on a big concert, we have lasers, we have fog machines, we have entertainment, but guess what we forget to do? Make disciples. That makes it a different mission. I'm sorry. I'm not uh, trying to be negative Nancy. I'm just trying to bring us back to the truth of God's word. Sorry to all the Nancys in the audience. <laughs> in the Greek, and when I realize whenever you say it, I'm not trying to impress. Right? It has nothing to do with that, but there's, sometimes it's needed abroad. In the Greek, the only direct command in verse 19 and 20, the only direct command in the Greek is make disciples. That's the only direct command. The instructions to go and to baptize are indirect to, uh, uh, commands in the, in the Greek. They're participles, and, and they're the only direct command is to make disciples. Make disciples is the primary command of the Great Commission. Going and baptizing are simply the means by which we fulfill the command to make disciples. So again, the Great Commission is to make disciples. That is the purpose. Our only mission is to go make disciples of Jesus Christ. Which leads us to the question, what is a disciple of Jesus Christ? What is it? Brittany, wow, spicy, <laughs> spicy. What did you say? A student of the word. A student of the word. Uh, close, close. I love the zeal. Uh, what else? What else is a disciple? Oh, who said that? A follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus. Is that you, Daniel? 
Uh, Danielle, a follower of Jesus, that's what a disciple is. A student of Jesus, absolutely, but I can't stop there. I've got to learn his ways and then what? Follow him. Jesus said, you search the scriptures to the religious leaders. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me, and you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. It's more than just knowing about him. It's following him. It's obeying him. It's walking in his ways. It's doing what he told us to do. That's what it means to be a a, a disciple of Jesus. It's a person who knows Jesus as his Savior and as his Lord. It means that he calls the shots and I obey him. A disciple is not a person who raises his hand at an altar call. Do you know what that is? That's a convert. And then that convert has to be what? Discipled. The job isn't over when we get someone to raise their hand or to make some kind of profession for Jesus. That's only the beginning. And then there's discipleship that is needed. Do you know why we have long Bible studies every Sunday morning? Because we have one goal at this church. You know what that goal is? Amen. To the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. Do you know why we have men's ministry on Tuesday night that spends an hour in God's word and then an hour studying in small groups talking about it? Because we want to what? Make disciples. That's why we have mission groups. That's why we have women's ministry. It's why we have Awana. It's why we're teaching all these young children to memorize Bible verses because we are making disciples of Jesus Christ. And you are called to be on this mission. It is your mission for life. This is what saves people from hell. This is what saves people from addiction. This is what saves people from perversion. This is what saves people's lives and gives them new life. It's when they become disciples of Jesus Christ. Raising your hand at a crusade, raising your hand doesn't doesn't change your life if you don't become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so we want to be disciples. You have been commissioned by Jesus to go and to make disciples. How are you doing? You say, well, I can't do that. I just, I don't think I can do that. Hey, can I tell you something? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I like to watch birds fly. Do you like to watch birds? I love watching birds. Lisa and I will go for a walk on the beach, and I just love watching the birds, especially the pelicans, soaring along the ridge line of the cliff. They never even flap their wings. They just down the entire coast. Or you watch a hawk catching thermals in the air, right? Just glorious. Or I got these hummingbirds in my backyard. They're a crack up, man. They are spastic little things, you know? And they're just like... And the male hummingbirds fighting off the other male hummingbirds so we can have all the female hummingbirds. You know, it's just, it's a crack up to watch. But you look at them and they fly with such precision pinpoint. And you say, Dave, what the heck are you talking about? Uh, who, who enables those birds to fly? Do they have to work up, wake up and go, I don't think I can fly. No, they were created for that. And they were gifted for that. And the calling of God is the enabling of God. And you have been called by God to make disciples. You can do it. You've been called by God. You've been created by God to do that. You can make disciples. Uh, uh, I so, you know, maybe you say, hey, I can't make disciples. I'm a brand new Christian. Brand new Christians are amazing at bringing people to Christ. I think of Jamel in this church. She got saved, and she was working at at, uh, Sprouts, is it? Sprouts, I think, working at Sprouts. And she worked in the vitamin department, you know? And she brought tons of people to Jesus. How? I go, Jamel, how are you bringing all these people to church? She goes, well, they come in. They go, I'm not feeling well. She goes, well, here's a vitamin, and you need Jesus. (laughs) He healed my life. He can heal your life. And she brings them to church. You can do it. I think of Tiana. Tiana is a young adult, just came to Christ, comes every Wednesday night to our young adult ministry. She bring, it's not uncommon for her to bring four people on a single night to church. She's a brand new believer. 
She's now serving in, in, the, in the children's ministry. It, it's awesome to watch. I absolutely love it. I think of Drake, uh, who brings all those kids to youth group every week. Uh, I think of Connor, he, just young adults as well. It brings tons of people to, uh, to young adults each week. Uh, it just, you can do this. You can do this. Do you know what the greatest ability of making disciples is? The greatest ability of making disciples is avail- <coughs> I can't even say it. Av- availability. Uh, or availability. Availability is the greatest ability about making disciples. Just make yourself open. Say, Lord, I want to. I want to serve you, and He will use you. Every Christian has a testimony of how they came to Jesus. Share it. It's powerful. And then preach the gospel. It's easy to preach the gospel. The gospel is simple. You're a sinner. Jesus came to save sinners. He died on a cross. He was God in the flesh. God left heaven. He became a man. All for the purpose of saving us. He went to a cross. He took the whole punishment of all of our sins. And he resurrected on the third day to prove that he was who he said he was. And he ever lives to make intercession. Call upon him. You'll be saved. We can do that, right? You can do that. Preach the gospel. Um, I love how brand new people, brand new Christians preach the gospel. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was teaching him, hey, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah came. Andrew sees him. And Andrew goes, see you, John. I'm following him. And the first thing Andrew does is what? He goes and tells his brother. His brother just happens to be Peter. Peter, you have no idea how powerful your little witness is. Andrew knew nothing. But he goes and he tells Peter, the Messiah is here. I saw him. And Peter comes, right? The woman at the well in John chapter 4. You know, you know the story. This woman, married five times, now given up on marriage, now just hooking up with guys. And Jesus says, hey, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who was standing here, you would ask him, he would give you living water, new life, the Holy Spirit living in you, and you would be overflowing. She's like, you don't have anything to get water. You know, it just misses it, right? And Jesus leads her into the truth of who he is. And what does she do? She goes into the town, and here's all she knows. Come and meet a man who knows everything about me. And she brought the whole little town of Samaria to Jesus. You have a testimony. It is powerful. Couple it with the truth of the gospel and use it to go bring people to Jesus and to make disciples. Some of you are well studied and you're still not making disciples. I have a question for you. Why? What the heck are you doing? Why? I mean, don't be like that airplane buzzing around without a pilot. I mean, like, this is what you're made to do, right? Make disciples. You should be making disciples by leading a mission group or leading one of our men's and women's groups or, or you know, being a leader in the church in some way. Make disciples. I tell you what, I am a happy pastor, a really happy pastor, because we have so many members in the mission church making disciples to the praise and glory of God. I am thankful. And church, you're doing a fantastic job. But... Jesus is calling, not for 50% of you, not for 80% of you. How much is he calling for? All my disciples, go to the Sea of Galilee. I got a message for you. That message is going to remain for all time for all my disciples. Go and make disciples. And something happens. When you do it, your life becomes amazing. If you need help, we've got a blue book, uh, a one-on-one discipleship book. Uh, You can pick it up. Uh, It's... Just go through it. Take someone through it. Uh, take someone in a, in a Bible study. Just take them through. Uh, you know, it's, it's awesome to do. Some of you I know are inspired. You're ready, like, Dave, let me get out of here, man. I want to go make disciples. Uh, great. I love it. I love it. Some of you are still saying, no, I can't do it. Uh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Can I show you my second favorite therefore in the Bible? Uh, the word therefore in the Bible, what does it mean? Find out what it's there for, right? Like whatever, whenever he says therefore, it's like, well, what was before that? It's important. Um, my first favorite therefore in the Bible, I don't have time to tell you. Uh, <laughs> but this is my second favorite therefore in the Bible. Look at this. Look at verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority 
has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go what? Therefore. Therefore what? In light of all that authority I have, I can speak the universe into existence. I think I can enable you to make a disciple. Go therefore in all that authority that is behind you. In all that authority that is calling you. I can make a monarch butterfly get from Canada to Mexico with a brain less than that big. I think I can make you a disciple. Go therefore in that authority that I have and go make disciples of men. My second favorite therefore in the Bible. Uh, I'm going to ask Kyle to come up and lead us in communion. Uh, I want to give you four quick closing points of why you should be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, some of these came from Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ in 1951, an organization that has discipled literally millions of people. Um, but four quick reasons why you should make disciples. Number one, because Jesus commanded you. And that ought to be the only reason we need. Jesus commanded you. When you take a job and they say, hey, you have to work these days and at this time, guess what you do? And when they tell you to wear black pants and a white shirt, what do you wear? Well, Jesus called you and he said, make disciples. When you join the sports team, uh, uh, football, soccer, whatever it is, right? Baseball team. What do they say? Here's your uniform. Here's when practice is. And here's where the games are. And guess what you do? You wear the uniform and you show up for those things. Well, your creator said, make disciples. Jesus commanded it. Walk in it. Uh, this is his instruction for us. Uh, he's commanded us to make disciples, and we must take that command seriously. Jesus said this. Jesus says that anyone who has faith in me will do the things that I do. Do you know what Jesus did when he was on earth? He made disciples. And Jesus says, anyone who walks with me will do the same things I do. The second reason you want to be making disciples is because people go to hell without Jesus. That's staggering. People go to hell without Jesus. They are busy buying clothes. They are busy going to lofty coffee. They are busy building their careers. They are busy doing all kinds of things and they're headed for hell. It's like straightening the deck chairs on the Titanic when you know it's going down. It ought to bother us, man. It ought to bother us. It ought to cause us great concern. We have family members, we have sons, we have daughters, we have neighbors, we have friends, we have co-workers. And do we actually believe what Jesus said? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Do we believe that? Then we better be making disciples. The third reason is people's lives are hurting. This is a tough world. We need, we need help, and Jesus is there to help us. There are broken lives. There are damaged relationships. There is emptiness. There is loneliness. There are feelings of worthlessness and despair. This is a tough world. I want you to know there is a reason that people are running to drunkenness and to drugs and to cocaine and to marijuana and to sexuality and the perversion and all these different things. There's a reason. Here's the reason. People's lives are hurting. And Jesus is the, is the answer. When a person comes to Jesus Christ, they begin to understand their worth in Jesus Christ and their life gets healed and becomes rich and meaningful as they learn how to walk with Jesus. You need, we need to help these people. And the fourth and final one that I want to give us is, man, it gives our life just incredible purpose when we start embracing the mission. The mission that Jesus has called us to. 
uh, it's foolish to be flying around in a plane without a pilot. And uh, when we're not living out our mission, uh, you know, it just it leads to destruction. Being used by God gives our life rich purpose and incredible meaning. And helping others and serving Jesus is just incredibly rewarding. Do you know what I'm seeing? Uh, not here at the Mission Church, but I'm talking about in the church at large. I'm seeing Christians grow up in the church, kids growing up in the church, and they get to high school and they get to college and they wander away from the faith. Do you know why? Because they have no purpose. And they're just looking for purpose. They do not understand the Great Commission. Your life has incredible purpose. You have a calling. You have work to get done. And when you understand that, life is powerful and meaningful. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.